2: Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blenderhead Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Wednesday, March 29th. We're 26 hours away from the first MLB DFS slate of the season. I mean, I guess, I guess not. If you have been playing spring training, there are spring training slates, but I, I wasn't playing them. But the first regular season. MLB DFS slate. Aren't you excited? We'll be talking today about uh, leverage, continuing our conversation from yesterday. As you see, uh, the past two weeks, uh, we've been doing uh, an MLB DFS primer. So feel free to go back to the past, uh, you know, maybe seven shows worth of content, get you up to speed, right? These are fairly short shows, 30 to 60 minutes on all the concepts, broad based concepts you'll need when building your MLB DFS lineups. And of course, well, the next uh, you know, six months we'll we'll be talking a lot about MLB DFS. If you got your questions, I got answers for you. You could submit your questions. You could obviously post in the YouTube chat, but we have a lot of people. I would say ninety plus percent of people watch this show later or listen on the podcast feed, and I want I want your questions also. So submit your questions. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. and that's what I use to to uh, to structure structure the show, right? Because it's like it's like unstructured learning. So, like, we'll be talking about stuff multiple times throughout the course of the season. So if there's anything that you need help with, it could be sports betting, it could be prop betting, it could be DFS, it could be NBA, it could be any, it could be anything, anything related to daily fantasy sports and, and grinding it out, right, on any of the sites, just submit them questions at theoryofdfs.com. Give me those thumbs ups, thummy thumbs, hit the smash, the hit the bang, the bang, the bang the like button, hit it, tap it. Tap it if you're on mobile, I guess. Tap it, click it. Click the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Good morning to Wattas, D-Fix, Suki Singh, Doug Montgomery. Real Life Pitcher, Daniel Hutchings, Part B. Got some, got, got some newer people in here, I see. Marquise Williams. Good morning, Guild Ticket. Nice day in Northeastern Kentucky, yes. I'm in Louisville, so that's close. Good morning, Charles. And also, today's a special day for me. Today's my birthday. Yay! Woo! Yeah, I'm 44 years old. Do I look 44? Some people, some people think I'm older than I am, and some people think I'm younger than I am. I, 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 I never know. I never know. It's, oh, you're 44. Oh, you look like in the mid 30s. Then some people are like, I didn't know. I thought you were in your mid 50s. I, I, I don't know how, I don't know how that works or anything like that. But uh, it's, it is my birthday, and uh, I'm not doing anything special because I don't do anything special on my birthday. It's just, an, it's just another day. It's just another day. Still doing the show for you, right? I could have taken off for my birthday, but nope, I'm here. I'm here for you people talking about leverage, right? Yesterday, we talked about in general, like ownership in general, like how to view ownership in your lineups, especially in a sport that is that you build lineups very in a, in a correlated manner, right? You're building stacks primarily in MLB. Uh, the other form of leverage, but the true form of leverage when we use the term leverage is direct leverage meaning that we're gaining relative value in our lineups by finding negative correlations between your opponent's lineups and your own, okay? So when your opponents do well, your lineups do badly, right? When your opponent's lineups do badly, yours do well, right? So like in in baseball, negative correlation we, we know is, pitchers and hitters right it's very very easy right if we're if, if uh we look on tomorrow's slate which we do have like initial projections up like jacob de grum versus the phillies right if jacob de grum does well the phillies batters don't if jacob de does poorly the phillies batters do better right if the phillies bats do well that means jacob de grum probably didn't do well right so if the lineups that have jacob de grum in it Versus the line instead of the Phillies in it. When Jacob deGrom does well, it goes this way, right? Dramatically. And if the Phillies batters do well, it goes the other way. Like Jacob deGrom has nothing to do with like the Mets batters or the Nationals batters, right? Jacob deGrom could do well and, and the Rockies could do well, right? Like it's two different games. So from a relative value standpoint, the higher owned, a team is a stack is, or a pitcher is the more valuable, the opposing stack or the opposing pitcher gets from a relative value standpoint. Cause let's say, let's say, for instance, we have a, uh, what, we have Corbin Burns is the highest owned pitcher or Shane McClanahan is tomorrow, right? In our current ownership project, we're using just this as an example. These numbers may change tomorrow, right? Cause when we get starting lineups and everything, but if we have, like, Shane McClanahan as, like, the highest, uh, 20, 30% owned pitcher, that means the Tigers are probably going to be, like, 1%, 2% owned. Okay? And if the Tigers do well, 30% of the lineups in the contest are going are gonna, to, Shane McClanahan's going to have, like, negative points or whatever. So 30% of the lineups start going down as the t- Tigers hitters start hitting home runs and stuff. And vice versa. If Shane McClanahan does well, the Tigers stack definitely isn't doing well. So in order to, in order to gain relative value in your lineups, you can choose to apply direct leverage by playing a stack against a high-owned pitcher or an over-owned pitcher. So playing the Tigers tomorrow, playing the Cubs tomorrow, playing the Giants tomorrow, maybe, or the, the Marlins are would be considered leverage stacks. Right. You're playing a stack against a high owned pitcher. So as the 20 plus, 30 plus percent of lineups go down, as the pitcher does badly, you're getting the points as it goes up. So you're getting more value from it. The same can be said for like the I think the Braves tomorrow are going to be like the chalkiest team on the slate. Right. We have Acuna, Riley, Albies. Like that stack may be like 14-ish percent owned. Well, Patrick Corbin's facing that that stack. So if the stack does poorly, that most likely means that Patrick Corbin is doing well. And if Corbin's going to be 2% owned and the Braves are going to be 14% owned, you get extra relative value by playing Patrick Corbin versus playing another pitcher in that range of projection, right? It's not a matter of, oh, well, I'm going to play, I'm going to play I'm going to play Patrick Corbin since the Braves aren't, aren't, you know, are the most owned team. It's like, yeah, but Patrick Corbin's also going to project much lower, right? Because the Braves project so much higher against him. So it's like, it's more of a, do you play a pitcher? If you had a choice between two 2% owned pitchers that project around the same, would you rather play the pitcher that is facing the 14% owned stack versus the one that's facing the 5% owned stack from a relative value standpoint, you'd prefer the, the pitcher against the higher owned stack in comparison to the projection. So that's what direct leverage is. Okay, to go over this again. Direct leverage is essentially, you could apply it to any sport, finding a negative correlation and then playing the opposite of what ownership is. Right? is gonna be 50%. Well, let's just let's just say, let's just say, for example, that Corbin Burns is. 50% owned tomorrow. So playing the Cubs would be leverage, right? If Corbin Burns was 5% owned and the Cubs was still 1% owned, I mean, that still is, that is still technically leveraged. 5% of lineups will have Corbin Burns. And only 1% will have the Cubs, which means as your 1% goes up, those five, 5% of lineups start coming down. But that also means 95% of the lineups don't have Corbin Burns in it. So it doesn't, doesn't doesn't give you any more relative value against those lineups. But if it was 50% on, that means half the lineups. When Corbin Burns uh, gives up a home run to the Cubs, when you get 14 points, he gets negative, what, two and a half or something? Right? So you're not getting 14 points on 50% of the lineups. You're really getting 16 and a half points. because half the lineups are losing, losing value. So that's what direct leverage is. Now, the important part, though, is not just thinking in a bubble like that. Of like, oh, I'm just going to approach every slate and I'm going to stack against the highest stone pitcher, right? Because obviously the projection is going to be much lower. I mean, you still are you going to get enough relative value that makes up for the projection difference? And when it comes to GPPs, we are looking for ceiling. Okay, I'm, I'm going to have to repeat this multiple times. This year, because people look at, look at these concepts way too much in a vacuum, right? Way too much of of. Uh, yes, you're right. If you stack against the highest owned pitcher, you're right. That is direct leverage, and they're going to be. I would say eighty percent of the time, this year, I'm never going to stack against the highest owned pitcher, and you're going to be like Jordan. But why you get so much leverage? It's like well, MLB is a game of ceiling in GPP, essentially heuristically. When it comes to selecting your batters, your stacks, you're looking to get five batters from the team that is essentially going to put up the most runs today, right? The most runs on the slate. Sometimes there'll be two teams that one team puts up 12, one team puts up 10. Some slates, maybe one team puts up eight, another team puts up seven. But essentially, like we have an 11-game slate tomorrow. It's like, I want to stack the team that that puts up the most runs. That's typically how you win GPPs with a five-man stack of the team that puts up the most runs. Okay. So think in terms of relative value where we have Corbin Burns versus the Cubs. If you're playing GPPs, like, yes, let's, let's say, let's just say Corbin Burns is 50% owned. But out of the 22 teams on the slate, even though you're going to get relative value from the Cubs, are the Cubs going to be the highest scoring team on the slate? What is a bad Corbin Burns game? So let's say Corbin Burns does, doesn't do well. Corbin Burns, as a starting pitcher, puts up six points, right? Which means that like 30% of the lineups are, are not doing very well. But does that mean the Cubs put up 12 runs? No, Corbin Burns goes out, gives up two home runs, five earned runs, right? Six hits, seven hits, two walks. He's out after three, three in the third innings, something like that. It's like, yeah, Corbin Burns, not good for your lineups. But if the Cubs only put up five runs, I mean, are they going to be the highest scoring team on the slate? That a five-man stack of the Cubs wins you a GPP? Probably not. Which is one of the main reasons why against ace pitchers, Typically high-projected ace pitchers, regardless of the of the ownership, I tend to not stack against on very small slates, maybe. But remember, with the opportunity cost, we have 22 teams tomorrow. So if you're going to stack against Garrett Cole or Max Scherzer or Corbin Burns, something like that, Aaron Nola. I mean, we have a lot of obviously aces on the on opening day. Yes, you're gaining relative value off of a certain percentage of the field, but still, like, like what happens if the Red Sox are the the highest stack of the day? Like, it doesn't matter that you have the Cubs that scored five or six runs. Like, like Corbin Burns would have to get blown up. The Brewers would, I mean, hey, on occasion that will happen, but it's much less likely for for ace pitchers. Which is while while you'll you'll hear me on on Grinders Live this year, oftentimes, heuristically heuristically, you should consider stacking for relative value purposes on draftings against SP2 type pitchers on slates where pitching is not all that great, right? Like they're the best of the bunch, but they're not, they're not ace pitchers. Like we'll have slates where, you know, everyone's playing this ace pitcher at ten five. And this SP two at seventy two hundred is like the best value of the rest of the pitchers because the pitchers aren't all that great on the slate to begin with. So like that seventy two hundred dollar pitcher is like a bit better than the other pitchers, but they're not. They're not a great pitcher, right? You get like a Stephen Mats is chalk is thirty eight percent on because he's sixty six hundred when he should be eight thousand. And a ton of people play. Like that's the type of pitcher. It's like, oh, okay. Stephen Matt's against whoever he's playing. I'm I'm gonna consider that stack. But it's not the type of thing that's like, you know, well, the 10-5 pitcher when, you know, Aaron Nola. it's like, dude, on on a on a nine game, on a 13-game slate, your stack needs to be the high needs in relative terms, needs to be the highest scoring team on the on the slate. So even though you're gaining relative value, it's like, well, what's the ceiling? What's the ceiling ceiling? Especially in large field GPPs. So when considering this direct leverage, you have to consider like 90th percentile outcomes, right? You have to consider like, is it can this team score substantially more runs than other teams on this slate? Can they score at least eight runs? Something, some something heuristically where. You're looking going, oh, well, I could stack against Garrett Cole. He does give up. Garrett Cole can give up two or three home runs. Problem is, is a lot of times they're solo shots. It's like, does Cole Cole do bad enough where the Giants' five-man stack becomes the highest scoring team on the slate? Compared to Kyle Gibson against the Red Sox or... German Marquez or Mitch Keller, right, against the Reds or, or Eduardo Rodriguez against the, the, the Rays or Alec Manoa against the Cardinals or something like that. I mean, Hunter Green against the Pirates, right? Hunter Green can get a bunch of strikeouts, but also he's given up God knows how many runs sometimes. Walks four guys, stuff like that. So when considering the, these these negative correlations, and adding relative value to your lineups by stacking against higher own pitchers. I consider like, what's the likelihood of this team being the highest scoring team on the slate, not just scoring five runs, right? Oh yeah. Well, what, well, what Garrett Cole could, you know, give up three home runs and be out by the fifth inning with like six strikeouts. And he gave up five runs. It's like, okay, that that's, yeah, that's good thing. You didn't have Garrett Cole in your lineup, but, I'm not sure if the Giant Stack is the winner. I, I mean, Giant Stack will be okay. The cash, right? If you think that, it may be better to just like, well, I don't play call, and I find that the highest scoring team on the slate, and don't stack against him, even if, even if he gives up three home runs. But maybe you're playing one offs. Maybe you're playing a three man stack. Maybe that could come in. But these five man stacks against eight pitchers, even though they provide you with a great ton of leverage, oftentimes, most probably, overwhelmingly probably, are not going to be the highest scoring team on the slate. They're not going to put up 14 runs or anything like that. So you have to consider that. The opposite end, we'll get asked a lot of times, is that, oh, well, the Braves are the highest scoring, are the highest owned stack. So I'm going to play the pitcher against them. That's leverage, right? It's like, oh, well, well Acuna is going to be 17% owned and Riley's going to be 14% owned and Albies is going to be 12% owned. And I'm going to get a lot of leverage over those lineups. But typically stacks aren't as high owned as pitchers are. So a high owned stack on an 11 game slate is like 15% owned. So when you play the 2%-owned pitcher against them, you're getting leverage over 15% of the lineups. But 85% of the lineups in the contest don't have Braves, don't have a Braves stack. That's much different than if, you know, a pitcher is 60% owned and you play the stack against him, right? Now you 60% of the lineups, you're going you're gonna to get relative value over versus 15% of the lineups and also from an opportunity cost perspective you got 22 pitchers on the slate right on tomorrow's slate specifically and well and most most slates in mlb are going to be like these sizes obviously if you play afternoon and night slates and turbo slates they may be smaller but on these main slates with 9 10 11 12 14 whatever games you have 22 pitchers you can find you can find a 2% on pitch you can find another pitcher that's that's not Patrick Corbin against the Braves. Yeah, the Braves do badly. In Penn, in a, how does the Braves fail? When we think in terms of failing, we don't think of, like, zeros. It's like, well, what if the Braves only put up four runs, right? Patrick Corbin gives up four runs on four innings pitched, right? Gets four strikeouts, gives up six hits or something three walks whatever he gets lucky he gets men on the lead strands a lot of runners right the Bra- the braves grounded to double plays the braves put up four runs well patrick corbin's still sitting there with like negative points and you know what the brave stack is Braves stack didn't do well either right not for a ceiling so you don't get either right it's like oh i'm gonna play patrick corbin against the chalk braves Are you getting as much relative value as you think when you're considering 90th percentile outcomes for GPPs? It's not just Patrick Corbin does okay and the Braves do okay. It's like, well, can Patrick Corbin put up 20 points against the Braves? If he does, yeah, you're you're destroying like 15% of the lineups in the contest and you have a 2% on pitcher. But think of another two but you could find another two percent on pitcher does that does that pitcher have a higher projection a higher chance of getting a 20point ceiling the answer is yes then it shouldn't matter that 15 percent of the lineups have Braves in it because the Braves could fail quote unquote fail fail not zero isn't failing people think in terms of oh yeah well the, the Braves failing it's zero runs it's like no the Braves fail when they get six runs Braves put up six runs tomorrow they have failed. The thing is that the starting pitcher probably failed also, right? Like the Braves only put up six runs on Patrick Corbin. Patrick Corbin sitting there with negative four and the Braves stack isn't in the winning lineup. So if you're just going to build, like I'm going to build tons of Patrick Corbin lineups, like how much relative value are you really gaining when you have 22 teams on the the slate? Just like we said before about the Corbin birds and and the Cubs. How much are you really gaining if the Cubs put up six runs on Corbin Burns? Still likely will not be a five-man stack, still likely won't be the winning lineup. Does that mean you can't play Cubs as one-offs and three men? Sure, you could do that. Does it mean that you can't play Corbin you can't play Patrick Corbin? It's like, oh no, well, Braves are only 15% owned. Like, I'm not gonna you're telling me not to play Patrick Corbin. I'm saying. It's like Patrick Corbin gains you a little bit more relative value than other pitchers in his range of projection. But it's not vastly so that you could just ignore it and say, I'm just uh, imagine every slate going in, going, okay, I'm going to play the stack against the highest owned pitcher, and I'm going to play the pitcher against the highest owned stack and just constantly build those lineups. Like your projection is going to be very low on those lineups. Those are going to be high variance lineups. Some of them may actually be plus EV. Yes. There'll be extremely high variance lineups, but I mean you can do it. But I wouldn't just blindly do that every slate because you're not t- factoring in any of the other opportunity cost on the entire slate. Right. I'm gonna play the Nationals that uh, with a two two run total. Maybe they'll score six. It's like, is that the highest scoring team on the slate? No. Then then is the five man stack really worth it? No. Another negative correlation that I just, I wanted to bring up uh, because it is slight. It is, it is something that I do not, don't prioritize. That's the better way to put it. Just don't prioritize at all, but it is, it's, it's kind of a tiebreaker type of thing. Negative correlation. Two teams in the same game for 90th percentile outcomes are negatively correlated to each other. Okay. Not strongly, but to some extent, right? Because people sometimes will ask me, like, can I stack a game? It's like, well, they're kind of unrelated to one another, right? I mean, like the Braves and the Nationals, could they, like if the Braves put up 12, does that mean that the Nationals are more likely to put up 10? I mean, that it really doesn't work that way in baseball. But they are negatively correlated. Why would two pitchers in the same game be negatively correlated to ceiling? And why would two stacks or two batters from the same game, most likely stacks, like if you're building a 5-3, have some negative correlation between each other? I think the pitcher one is easy to understand, to figure out. The batter one maybe is slightly, slightly more difficult. Feel free to post it in the YouTube chat if you have a guess. So two forms of negative correlation, slight. There's slight negative correlation. Between two starting pitchers in the same game, and then two stacks of opposing teams, the pitcher one should be easy, right? Especially, especially. I mean, I mean on Fan on FanDuel, you don't even have to you don't have to roster two pitchers. There, Woo Woo j Train has the answer. Win equity among pitchers in the same game. Only one pitcher can get the win points, right? Which is what four points on DraftKings. Right, so it's it's a little it's there, but of course both pitchers could they get twelve strikeouts each, and it, it's not going to matter. They could both pitch seven plus innings and have twelve strikeouts. Like, what one, one? Neither of them could get the win, so it doesn't even matter, right? But yes, yeah, so only only one pitcher in a game could get a win, so those four points, the equity of those four points, could only happen on one side. So if you're going to be on DraftKings and draft two pitchers from the same game. You know that only one of them could get four points for the win, if eligible. Yet two pitchers from two different games could both get the win. Does that mean you go into lineup HQ and you set up groups and you never play pitchers against each other? No. But when considering, you know, 50-50, ah, if you want to add just a slight, slight tip to your ceiling of your lineups, your range of alchemy increase the variance. Playing two pitchers against each other, I'd avoid. How about the batter version of this? Let's play a five-three I'm going to play a five-three lineup. Right, I'm going to play. I'm going to play the Braves and the Nationals. Right, I'm going to play the Orioles and the Red Sox. I'm going to play the Twins and the Royals. Right, five-man Twins, three-man Royals. There is there is a slight negative correlation, small negative correlation, between the five man stack and the three man stack in the same game. Why is that? And this is only for ceiling. The medians don't matter that much. Like, well, what, what's the what's the the correlation between that that the medians of the Twins and the Royals? Probably probably nothing. Zero. Bare, barely nothing. Once we get up to like the 80th, 90th percentile outcomes, then they start getting more negatively correlated. Why would that be? Why would that be? Why would a five-man stack of the Twins be slightly negatively correlated to a three-man stack of the, the Royals? Or on FanDuel, you're playing a 4-4 lineup? I'm going to play four Twins and four Royals from the same game. Which you can do. I'm not like, like I'm the, these, these aren't things that you can't do. I'm just explaining how there is some negative correlation. The reason for this is that when the Twins, let's say one of the teams scores is the highest scoring team on the slate. Let's say they scored. Let's use an extreme example. They score 18 runs. The Twins score 18 runs in this Twins Royals game, which means they're racking up. They're racking up at bats and they're coming through and, you know, hitting home runs, but you know, the bullpen's working for the Royals and everything like that. Well the twins put up 18 runs. Let's say it's like the sixth to seventh inning and the twins are up like 16 to 2. What is the most likely that the Royals do? Wave the white flag. Wave the white flag. Next thing you know, it's these these, these the guys the guys from the Royals start coming out of they start getting pitch hit for. Right? They're best players. It's like that. Not even worth worth the risk of even running the bases, right? And then also, what ends up happening is that the, sometimes by the by the eighth or ninth inning, the a position player is even in pitching, and that, who knows? They, they the Twins score another seven runs, right? As as the spread of the game gets out of hand, right? So as as the like ninety fifth percentile outcome for the Twins, right, putting up twenty runs. Like that's not correlated to, well, the Royals are more likely to put up 20 runs too. No, it's not related to one another. But the bigger and bigger lead that one team gets, the more and more likely that the other team starts pinch hitting their best players. And the more and more likely that position players start coming in and who knows, of course, on the other end of the spectrum, like the Twins, like, dude, you may not get you may not get six at-bats or f- even five at-bats from, you know, Byron Buxton may come out after four at-bats in the seventh inning because like, they're up by 16 runs. So yeah, yeah, you miss out on that plate appearance. But if the Twins have put up 16 runs, you're probably good already, right? You're probably good. This is very, very similar to NFL when people are like, oh, the, the Chiefs are favored by 17 points. You can't play Patrick Mahomes right? Because he's not even going to play the fourth quarter. They're going to blow them out. They're going to blow them out 42 to three. And Patrick Mahomes is not going to play the fourth quarter.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
1: And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set.
2: Yeah, but Patrick Holmes is going to be responsible for putting up 42 points on the board. So who cares? Yeah, you're right. Okay, so he's, he he's not going to get 500 yards. He'll only get 400 yards today. He still probably did very well, right? You see that in basketball. Oh, the Bucks—they have a 16-point spread. Can't play Giannis. They're going to put up 130 points and destroy. Yeah, yeah and Giannis is going to have a lot of them. Right? Oh, they're going to blow him out. He's going to—he's not going to get his last six minutes. The next thing you know, he is 28 minutes and 76 fantasy. Like, yeah, the, he has to do well in order for the team to, to blow out the other team, sure. So I'm not as concerned about that. But there is. I just wanted to mention, because we were talking about leverage, I don't actively avoid playing two teams, five, like a 5-3. And the one-offs don't matter at all. Like the one, Really, the one-offs don't even matter. Right? So it's not like, oh, I'm going to play five twins and then exclude all the Royals it's something i i i i don't even i really don't even pay attention to unless it's like like a 50-50 it's like ah i could choose between like one of these or multiple of these 20 lineups it's like they all look pretty good to me like but i'm only going to play 10 of them so it's like okay since they're all kind of equal what are the very slight slight things that i could use to trim out lineups it's like ah okay well if i'm playing if i'm playing the twins Five-man twin stack, if it has a Royal in it, I just get rid of it, right? Because there is a slight negative correlation. I wanted to bring that up just so. So we have it on the record on the MLB DFS Leverage Series, right? Part one and part two. If you have any questions, post them in the YouTube chat before we get out of here. Lulu J Train says that the win equity matters less on small slates, though. I think a lot of stuff matters less on small slates, right? If we only have like a four-game slate, it's like the likelihood of like one team putting up 12 runs over another team. Like, so there's just less teams, right? The larger and larger a slate gets, right? The more and more important ceiling gets, right? On a four-game slate, when let's say the highest scoring team only puts up six runs. Well, you're good. Well, then do you have that team? right it's quite possible you don't even need five guys from that team right smaller slates it's more more you know okay to not stack five you could stack four you could stack three less opportunity for one team to just you know be the winning you know highest scoring team on the slate 11 game slate it's very likely one of these 22 teams are going to have a five-man stack worth it to play that is going to win a GPP. Just a matter of which team that is. They all have a probability at some point. Maybe it's Tampa Bay. Maybe it's Toronto. It could be. It could be any of them. But if there's there's 22 shots at it versus on like a three-game slate where there's six shots at it. That's a difference in slate sizes. Tyler Jackson asks for Prize Picks and Underdog. Would you say using projections of the bat is better than Vegas line for choosing props? Well, most of the time, the 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 lines, Vegas lines, the sportsbook lines are, that's where the prize picks and underdog sets their lines from. It can be used as a signal. That's the difference between the top-down and the bottom-up approach. If you're originating, which is what using the bat would be, if you trust the bat, if you trust those projections, you just bet the ones that are the most off from those. That's what I do. When the board comes, when those boards come up, I just look and see what are the biggest discrepancies. Are they bigger than, you know, fifty-seven and a half percent win percentage? The answer is yes. I build two. I bill I just round robin a whole bunch of two picks, right? Maybe I find four or five, six, seven. Maybe depends on the, the beginning of the season. Maybe I find more. I just round robin them, just like fifty-dollar two picks, right? Seventy-five-dollar two picks, hundred-dollar two picks. The more off something is, the the, probably the more money I put there. And then like the next day, you know, like if I'm doing that at like one in the morning, then the next day, maybe then then you compare it to sportsbooks lines. Understand that sportsbook prop lines are not very efficient. Okay. These are non-liquid markets that have high holds. So when you see, it's like, oh, this, this sports book has minus 155 on whatever this prop is. Yeah, but you'll also see it's like plus 115 on the other side. That's a very large hold. If you take out the VIG, minus 155 on that side becomes like minus 127, right? Minus 123. And because the limits are lower in prop markets, the line isn't all that efficient. You can't, it's, you, no one can put that 50 grand on a prop bet. So these lines aren't that efficient. So it's using that specifically and just saying, that's all I'm going to do. Wouldn't be the best way. It's a way. It's a way. It's a signal. It's a better way of putting it. Uh, Gilt Ticket says, Filing, find ceiling plays that have leverage for the entire lineup or build the lineup as a whole, then swap for my more leverage guys. You should always, m- Mr. Gilt, Mr. Ticket, lineups, not players, okay? take Get a Post-it note, okay? Put it on your screen. Said, you're never picking players, ever. You're never playing players in DFS you're always playing lineups. So find ceiling plays. Once you once the third word of your 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 sentence, you're already thinking about DFS improperly. You're building lineups. That's it. You're never picking players. Okay? If you're starting your DFS approach from I'm going to pick players, then you are approaching daily fantasy sports wrong. You're building line- you can you can play any player any player that is projected, I could I could make a plus E V lineup with. Any literally any player that has a project that, that has a projection. Right? No matter how low it is. Right. I could I could play I could play Patrick Corbin at that 8.99. I could. But you know what I have to do in that lineup? I have to I probably have to play a high projected stack to keep my projection up. Right. He's low enough owned that I, I practically could do anything I want in my lineup based on these numbers. Right, so I can play Patrick Core. I can go, I can go to any stack. I go. Okay, I'm I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play. I could just add to Pittsburgh. I could play a I could play Austin Hedges a catcher, even though he projects for four point six. I can. Now, what do I have to do in the rest of my lineup so that my projection and ownership are balanced for the contest that I'm in? So, like, you could, so like picking players makes no sense. you know, not. Why am I picking players? I'm picking I'm picking lineups. I'm really not picking players. The effects of certain players in certain lineups do certain things. So if you have if you have several high leverage players in your lineups, you know what that means? The rest of the spots in your lineup, you could play over owned players that project high from a raw point perspective because you've made up their lack of leverage, their negative leverage with extreme high leverage in other spots. Right, which means you're viewing the lineup as a whole. I don't build lineups that way. I build lineups by building 300 lineups and then choosing ones from there. So I'm never looking at players. I could say it's like, oh, I'm much more likely, right, on like tomorrow's slate, in my 121 single entry, I'm probably not going to play Braves, right? I'm probably going to play a lineup that, contains probably two one two of the chalkier pitchers and a non-brave stack i could know. i could tell you that already but i mean i'd be able to tell that just by building 300 lineups and going which lineup is more worthwhile for me to play a lineup at this projection with a brave stack or this projection divided by two without a brave stack that gives up with with that drops me nine points in projection, but drops me like five x in ownership. Be like, no, but this is easy, right? Just hope the Braves don't do well, right? There you go. But I could think the other way. I could go, oh, I think Shane McClanahan's too way too I own, and I'm going to play this, you know, five percent owned pitcher. It's like, well, then maybe maybe you can't. Maybe you do play a Brave stack in that one. You can. You have to find some way in GPP of not playing all the chalk, the the highest on players together. That's essentially what you're, you're essentially, and I've described this before your goal, especially in MLB DFS because you could build like 70,000 good lineups is to just not build bad lineups. That's it. Your goal is to not build bad lineups. is it's not to build good lineups. It's not to build bad lineups. You make money off of the people that build bad lineups. And in these contests, a lot of times, 20-25% of lineups are bad lineups. Don't be one of those. If you're not one of them, you have a profitable lineup. Now, do you have the most profitable lineups? Maybe not, but you do have a profitable one. So if you're not, if, if you're building Burns McClanahan, Brave Stacks with whatever the popular Brandon Belt one-off or something like based on our current projections. You're doing that type of thing. Like that's a bad lineup for GPP. And then if you're playing, if you're, if you're, if you're building, I'm going to build a miles, Nicholas Corey Kluber lineup with the Cubs and have a projection 47 points lower than, but like, that's probably a bad lineup. also, Right? Like, dude, you don't have to play all 1% on players, especially a pitcher. Like that would be a bad lineup, right? You should go back to the episode entitled, where does the money come from? gpps or gpp equity there's one that's entitled gpp equity dynamics or something like that equity distribution like all the money in gpp comes from two different types of lineups that are negative ev lineups that are too high owned or too low projected so your goal is to make lineups that aren't high owned and aren't too low projected the higher projected and the lower on they get typically the higher your ev gets so however way you do that, you could do it. You could do it by, you can play anyone you want. It's the combinations of players you're looking to avoid more so than the combinations of players that you're looking to play together. Jacob Vinter asks, how many stacks would you use consider when entering 20 max, especially in a large state like tomorrow? Do you try to attack three or four and move up to more? Not to be rude, but the, the the question means that you do not understand how to play daily fantasy sports, okay? I'm always blunt here. I'm always going to be blunt. How many stacks? Whatever, however, that's a diversification question. You could build a plus EV lineup with any stack on the slate. Any of these 22 teams. You could build, if you have 20 lineups, you could build, I could build a Yankee stack and then a Braves stack and then a. Red Sox stack, and then a, I could do that. I could build 20 Brave stacks also. Same EV, different diversification, right? If you build 20 Brave stacks and they do badly, all 20 of your lineups are, eh. doesn't change the expected value of the lineups, right? Some people are like, oh, I'm just going to lock in Shane McClanahan. If he does well, that helps all of your lineups. If he does badly, it hurts all of your lineups. That's a a diversification question. If 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 I showed you 20, if I showed you 100 lineups, Jacob, okay? Let's say I showed you, I gave you, you're playing 20 lineups, okay? And I showed you 100 lineups, okay? I didn't tell you who's in the lineup but i told i just showed you the the expected value of the lineups like for every dollar you put in on average lineup 1 you get a dollar 20 back okay theoretically that's lineup 1 lineup 2 on average you get a dollar 20 back lineup 3 on average you get a dollar 20 back lineup 4 on average you get a dollar 20 back Lineup five. Do you see the point here? I'm going to list all 100 lineups and all 100 lineups on average, obviously, very large sample size. They give you back $1.20. Now, most of these lineups, they give you that average is when you win a contest. I mean, like, it's like you lose and then you you win 10,000, right? So $1.20 doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to get 20 cents today. It's like, no, most of that equity is in. You know when you win, when you come in the top spots. Just over the course of you play the slate five thousand times, and this lineup wins once for fifty grand. When you average that all out, and that's twenty cents, right? Like something like that. Let's say all hundred lineups have a dollar twenty expected value. You have to play twenty of them. Doesn't matter which twenty you pick. Mathematically, it doesn't. Right? It doesn't. You could randomly pick twenty. You randomly pick twenty out of the hundred. One is a Brave stack. One is without Corbin Burns. This lineup has has two Cubs in it. This lineup has, has a Red Sox stack. This lineup has Sandy Alcantara in it. Like you don't know any of that. Like, but mathematically, they're mathematically all hundred lineups are the same, and you get to choose twenty of them. So you could choose any twenty. We played the slate over a hundred thousand times. Right, you'd end up no matter what twenty you pick. After all those times, you'll theoretically end with the same amount of money. Now, what would be a reason that out of the hundred lineups, it's like, well, I I, I want to play twenty, but I'm going to make the twenty different from one another. Like they're all mathematically the same, but instead of picking out of, out of the hundred, there's twenty brave stacks, and you're like, well, I don't want to pick all twenty brave stacks. I'm going to pick five of them. What would be a reason you do that? The only reason you do that is for diversification purposes. That's based on bankroll management. Since they're all equal anyway, why don't I pick 20 that aren't as correlated to each other so I have less swings, right? Why don't I pick one stack, one stack, uh, uh, 20 different stacks and 20 lineups? Yeah. So now your lineups aren't correlated to each other, which means they'll come in all these places in the, the payout structure. Right. If they're all theoretically, mathematically equal from a diversification standpoint, from a risk tolerance standpoint, you can have less swings the more diverse your portfolio is. Mathematically, you could play all 20 Brave stacks also. And if the Brave, hey, The Braves put up eight million runs. You may come in first, third, seventh, tenth. You may take down all the money in the GPP, right? But that's already factored in mathematically as an all. Also, more correlated your lineups are to each other, your results are going to be higher variance, but mathematically equal. So, how many stacks do you choose out of? Is all that, whatever you want to do. I mean. As long as they're plus EV lineups, you could you could build as many as you want, as little as you want. You go into a slate and go, I, I think this stack is way underowned. I'm just going to build twenty of those. Okay, you could you can. You could build five, you could build ten, you could build zero, you could be, whatever. Like the the question shouldn't be how many. The question should be build plus EV lineups on this eleven. Just to put things into perspective, on this eleven game slate. Okay, I, I say this all. I say this all the time. I will have to repeat this probably at least eighty times this season. Okay, at least eighty times. Tomorrow's eleven game slate. If we go to the large field GPP, I'm going to look on DraftKings. Well, what's what's the large field GPP? Okay, large field GPP has. Fifteen dollars, thirty-nine thousand two hundred and fifteen entries. It's so about forty thousand entries. Okay, if we knew thirty-nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine entries, we knew every other entry in the contest, right? And we're just entering one lineup. How many lineups can we enter once, right, in that one spot? That would be profitable. I'm not saying would be the most, the highest profit, but would be profitable, plus EV, even if it's a dollar and one cent. If you had the option, you're playing this 40,000-person entry contest, you're entering one lineup in that spot. How many lineups can you make that would be profitable in that contest on an 11-game slate? Put your guesses in, in, the, in the YouTube chat. I don't know the exact number, but I mean, just what do you think? How many profitable lineups can you build to enter in that contest? If you have that one entry versus the other 39999 that we expect because we have ownership, so we can expect to see what they kind of look like. How many lineups can you build? Like if I go in lineup HQ right now and go, Against that potential field, how many lineups can I consider and choose the one from that would be profitable? Okay, how many can you build? Now, Some may only be at one cent profitable. Some may be 20 cents profitable. At that point, it's like, oh, how do I make more profitable lineups? But how many lineups would be profitable to play? What would your guess be? If you're, if you, Daniel Hutchins says, if you knew all the other lineups, yeah, Daniel's close, the closest. Probably millions. Million. You know how many lineup combinations there are on an 11 game slate? You know, do you realize how many between two pitchers and five hitters in these positional structures? On an eleven-game slate, like dude, the zero zero. I mean, I don't even know what to call it. There'd be a lot of commas. So if you knew all the other lineups, probably millions, right? Exactly. So you could build. <laughs> you can. Are millions of probably profitable lineups, as long as you're not building the bad lineups. It's not a matter of doing the opposite of the field. If you knew what they were playing, it's a matter of, we already know the owner. Like that's what the ownership numbers are, right? We know what the ownership is. We know what everything is. So it's like, all we have to do is build lineups that have the highest rejection for the lowest ownership, right? Because all the money comes from lineups that are too low projected or too high. Owned. So as long as we're in the middle, we probably have a profitable lineup. You know how many of those types of lineups, how many lineups you could build that look like that millions, in MLB DFS on an eleven game slate, okay. So all I'm gonna all I'm gonna do when people uh, people DM me, they said, "Look at my lineup for today for the for large field GPP." I was this a good lineup? And I look, and I said, is that is a five? Is there a stack in there? Yeah, is there? Okay, you're good, you're fine. How about this lineup? You're fine. Like like, dude, you could show me like seven thousand lineups. I'm just gonna say you're fine, you're fine. I said, do you have the do you have the highest on stack and the two highest on pitchers and the highest on one up together? They go no. I said okay. Your lineup's fine. Do you have a lineup that's like forty points lower projected than any other lineup? They go no. Then you're fine. I said so. so other than that, like any lineup would be fine. Yeah. I said are you correlated? Are you? Do you have a Do you have a stack? Yeah. Okay. You're good. You're good. From a profitability standpoint, can you make more profitable lineups? Quite probably, yes. But are those lineups in and of themselves profitable to 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 any degree? Yes just due to the fact that there's enough bad lineups in the contest that your lineup that you made beats the rake and then then some. Now, we're all competing for the then some. So yeah, I'd love to have lineups that are more profitable than just barely profitable. Yeah, sure. And that that that's, that's what I'm hoping to do more of. So I make more money. But if your goal is to make profitable, the first thing you should be thinking about, how do I make a profitable lineup? Long-term profitable. An MLB DFS, that's all you have to do. Just don't make bad lineups. You can play anyone you want. Don't play high-owned lineups. Don't play low projected lineups. It exists in every other sport that way. Same exists in NBA, same exists for NFL. Right? If you're playing a contest where no one builds bad lineups, then it's gonna matter. Then it's gonna matter a lot. And then then a lot of times, many times, if there's no bad line, if there's no there are people that are not playing the high, high, very high owned or very low projected, with a fifteen percent rake. It's quite possible no one can build a profitable lineup. It's quite possible that there's no way for you to build a lineup that is, has a long term profitability. There's no way to get as enough of an edge to, make, to to beat the rake. I highlight these things because I say again and again especially in event-driven sports like MLB, however you think of devising your lineups, however you're currently thinking of devising your lineups, you're overthinking it by at least a degree of 10. At least a degree of 10. That if you cannot build a profitable lineup in 30 seconds in MLB DFS, you have not learned how to play DFS. Because you could build millions of them that are profitable. Then you could work on building ones maybe that are a little more profitable or whatever. Just don't build a bad lineup. So you could you could go to any slate. There's a 7.05, whatever, one hundred five tomorrow. You could show up at 1 o'clock, 5 minutes before, not knowing anything about anything. Just look at the numbers and go... I'm going to play the 121 single entry. I'm going to play the $15 large fee. I'm going to build a line. Like, you should be able to build a plus EV lineup. Like, like in 15 seconds? I mean, like, how, how long does that take? Don't play the highest-owned players together and don't play the lowest projected lineup. And there you go. You got millions to choose from. Are you going to build the most profitable lineups? No. Are you going to build a profitable lineup? Because if how many bad lineups, there are in the contest. This is, like, the most important concept of DFS literally the most important concept of dfs it's in the theory of daily fantasy sports how to think like a professional dfs player you can pick up the 15-hour audio dfs masterclass at theoryofdfs.com where does the money come from it said i mean it, in, in in the course i mean we talk about it in chapter i think chapter two the number one thing that's going to determine the, your your the profitability of you playing dfs is the relative skill level between you and your opponents. That's it. That's it. You're going to play head-to-head against someone? If if you could find the the people that build bad lineups? That's going to matter more than you being the best player. You to Oh, he's a great player. It's like, yeah, but if I could find people that take my $500 head-to-heads that play injured players, like, I'm going to make more money than them. It doesn't matter how good my lineups are. It's like as long as I don't play injured players, as long as I don't play play play, play starting pitchers that are scratched in my lineups. Yeah, yeah, I'm probably gonna win. It doesn't matter how high I score. Oh, I scored seventy two points. Yeah, but everyone else scored one hundred forty. Yeah, but I played this guy that only scored seven because he played like he played a postponed game. The game got rained out and postponed three hours ago, and he still left the line. He still left people in his line. Right. That's what it comes down to more than your like, oh, your skill in building any. Like, no, it isn't. Just don't build the bad lineups. MJC asks, how many unique MLB lineups do you? Do? I don't even understand what that means. Well, MLB this season, I'm I'm playing I'm playing the 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 triple up can tuple the three X, five X stuff and then then a single entry lineup i'm not playing i'm not i mean i am throwing my single entry lineup into the large field but i'm trying i'm trying to exploit the uh three-man and five-man lobby and the the quintuple ups and the triple ups i'll see i mean i'll 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 have to look the first week or two to download the, the csvs and make sure that they're still exploitable right to compare basically i need to compare lineups of what certain players lineups look like in double ups compared to triple ups compared to three mans to see if, if they are indeed playing the same lineups. So that's, that's what I'm doing. And if that's the case, I, I, I have a much bigger edge there than I do surviving the variance train of MLB, large field GBPs. So I, I think I can, I could have a 20% ROI in triple ups in three X five X, if that's still the case. And then obviously like prize picks and underdog stuff, right? Devoting more money to that. There's less work, right? One in the morning, board goes up. Hammer a whole bunch of stuff for a couple of thousand bucks, right? And then you're done. Rather than than put in 150 lineups in MLB DFS contests. Which just is an edge there, but it's just a woo, swingy, swing, swing. Very large swings. So yeah, my my MLB season is most likely, assuming everything is still the case in these three to five X style contests, that I'll be playing playing two lineups for those contests, and then one like for the one twenty 120, the one twenty one single entry on DraftKings is the most exploitable contest on the site for MLB. The one twenty one single entry because so many people play th- those high owned lineups. Boy, boy, it's it's, it's insane. It's insane. Combinatorically, the lineups that look similar to one another is just out of this world compared to the large field contests. Like, there's the 121. What, what on, 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 uh, on tomorrow? What is that? 450? I think it's 459. Okay, I, I already have it in upcoming. How many entries are? 459, 5K to first. Like, dude, you will see, like like, a good, like, half of the lineups that are, like, 2v2s of one another. Right, because it's like the highest projected stuff. They're they're, they're going to play Burns McClanahan Braves something. Right, that's what it is it? Acuna, Acuna is going to be forty seven percent owned or something. I mean, it's going to be stuff like that happens in that contest. So it's so easy to just like, like what's the highest owned combinations and just get rid of them or combinatorically get rid of them where you're not playing them bunch together. So a lot of times I will I will run. Uh, projections, an aggregate projection set through uh, my portfolio correlation matrix, which is part of the theory of daily fantasy for advanced players tools. I will be showing that off this year, right? You can get them yourself, the Excel tools, theoryofdfs.com. And I could just run, I could just run them through and go, whatever players are the most correlated to one another, I just basically group the hell out. And there's like, build me a good line, build me the best projected lineup from that point. Or let me see, like, the, let me see the top 20. Or see top 100, and then pick one out of that, right, with the biggest ownership gap. And there you go. And there, that's totally, that 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 type of lineup for the 121 has to have an insane EV. Because you'll see so many lineups that it's like, the, st- the highest owned stack and the highest owned pitcher will be so correlated. They'll be like 0.8, 0.85, where, like, Every lineup, like, like 85% of the lineups that have Brave Stacks also have Shane McClanick. So it's like as long as you don't play them together, you're hoping that one does well and one does badly, right? Because so many lineups have them both in it. and you just avoid those. Makes it so much more exploitable. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the most exploitable spots. I think the 3X, 5X contests, as well as the 121 single entry, are the most exploitable spots in MLB on DraftKings. that if that if if if, ever, if I download the CSVs and that still is the case, then I'll probably expand to the fan like fan. Maybe what I do is that on FanDuel I play the large field GPPs. Like fan to me to me FanDuel is much softer. So maybe on FanDuel I I'll, I'll play like a hundred line. I can play fifty lineups, hundred lineups into whatever the large four dollar whatever. Typically they're cheaper. They're cheaper contests. So like for a $4 I can play 100 liners for 400 bucks. prize structure is awful, right? Cuz last year I got like I think 14 top 20 finishes, one second and like two fifths and a lot of like eighths, tenths, twelfths and the the prize put the, the structure is just like it's ridiculous, right? Oh, 30,000 a first and the like eighth place is like 600 bucks. Like thanks. <laughs> Like and it, I'm I'm out by like like oh if I had five and a half more points I would have won thirty grand. Oh, I'm in sixth place. Oh eight hundred bucks. That's the problem with the large field GPPs. Just it, it's variance, variance, variance to the nth degree. Me, I'm just I'm me, you know me? I'm a knit, right? I'm a grinder. I'm not, I'm not looking to make a million dollars in a year. Like, can I make fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars in a year? What's the easiest path to do so? With the least swings and the least risk of ruin, that's what I'm going to figure out. So that's my plans for the year. Tomorrow, tomorrow we got Grinders live, right? Eleven o'clock? Are we doing at eleven? Eleven thirty? Is it going to be what? What is it going to be? I think it's on schedule for eleven. It's so a one o five slate, so should that be eleven thirty? I have no idea. Devin will tell me uh, when it, when it should be scheduled. But it'll be it'll be tomorrow. You won't see you won't see uh, the the thumbnail for the DFS pregame show. You will see, and that will be Grinders live. Uh, thumbnail, you'll see me on it, right? I'll, I'll always be here early when we have uh, these, these early afternoon slates uh, on the Grinders Live Show when this show gets uh, preempted. So, always look out to see. All you have to do is look for my face, right? right A lot of people don't like my face, but it's recognizable, right? You can see it. So, you'll see that tomorrow. And uh, me, Dean, and uh, and Kirk Kirkwood, Chris Kirkwood, Kirk Dees will be talking about tomorrow's slate, especially when the, the projections get updated, like the bat and everything. And uh, then I'll be back on Friday. No MMA this weekend, so Friday's just a normal DFS pregame show. Submit your questions, questions at theoryofdfs.com. Just email them in. I cover I cover everything. Right? That's how I structure this show, around your questions. Even if I have to repeat myself 80 times, I will still answer your questions. Hit that thummy thumb. Hit the thummy thumbs. Hit the thumbs up. Hit the like button. Hit everything. Hit everything on the screen. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live every single day. There's what you got NBA today, right? Everyone tilting over Dennis Smith Jr. yesterday. Yeah, and they, they know when they're chalk, right? Oh, 7 million percent down. Nope, doesn't play. Doesn't matter, right? That's NBA DFS is the worst. We got 25 25 hours away. You don't have to play DF NBA anymore. You can play MLB every single day, and I'll be here answering your DFS strategy questions like I always do, Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.